So uh, we've been talking about uh, what it means to be uh, servants. And our example of serving and being servants is ultimately found in Jesus. And we find that Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, Jesus models servant leadership, how he handles his disciples. He washes their feet. But there's something that preceded Jesus stripping and tying the towel around him, getting the basin of water, something that preceded that. It says in verse 3, chapter 13, that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. This preceded this act of humility and service that we find Jesus stepping into. And I think this is really key because this is the place that we are called to. We are we are called by God, friends. As a matter of fact, there's a place where it says, I don't call you servants. I call you friend. We are in union with God. We are seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And this is really key for us to be able to grasp and to know our identity and our worth and our value so that we are not in this place of wrestling with, do I have worth? Do I have value? Because what we are called to, the place that we are called to interact with humanity is in the place of a servant. But if we are wrestling with insecurities of significance, it's going to be very, very difficult for us to actually get down and serve. <laughs> because we'll find ourselves fighting for significance. We'll find ourselves looking for the next thing to build ourselves up instead of for the opportunity to kneel and get down. And so Jesus is modeling this, and he's telling his disciples later in that same chapter, if, if I'm your teacher, if I'm your Lord, if you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do that, but if I, being your teacher and your leader, have modeled this type of servanthood to you by washing your feet, I'm also calling for you to follow me in this likewise. Peter wrote in his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, uh, in the Passion Translation, he said, in every relationship, each of you must wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant. In every relationship. That's a big word right there. That's a big word because we are, we're in a lot of relationships. Uh, the, the most close relationships we have, husband, wife, parent, siblings, 
In every relationship, you are to wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant. Jesus was turning the world upside down. He was bringing a new narrative and understanding of power and authority. <laughs> it's demonstrated in Christ. We find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it said, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, had made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. In order for us to know the glory of God, we have to see it revealed in the face of Jesus. And Jesus' face was postured in a place of serving. You see, this isn't something that God said, let me take a break from being God to show you what it looks like to serve one another. He's actually revealing this is what it looks like to be God. You serve everybody. <laughs> this is a revelation of God. This wasn't Jesus saying, I'm going to step out of being God to be a servant. He's revealing this is what God looks like. He serves. <laughs> Isaiah wrote a couple of songs, prophetic words about the suffering servant. The suffering servant. I think there's about four altogether songs of the suffering servant written in Isaiah. It was a prophetic word about the coming Messiah that Israel missed. <laughs> they didn't understand who Jesus was when he came because they didn't understand that what Isaiah was writing about the suffering servant was speaking about their coming Messiah. They thought the suffering servant was dealing with, you know, and there's a part of it that was like, yeah, it's dealing with Israel as a nation. They're the suffering servants of God. They're suffering in exile. They're suffering in these places, in these locations. But ultimately, what Isaiah was writing, and I don't even know if he realized what he was writing, was a prophetic word about the coming king, Messiah, that they were waiting for. And in their mind, it's like this is how power is operated. This is how you move in power. It's through force. It's through domination. It's through who is the strongest in battle. This is how you conquer. This is how you reign. This is how you rule. And so when Jesus came as a servant, they totally missed him. Because Jesus came not as a warrior on a horse, with a sword, but as a servant 
on a donkey with a basin of water to wash feet. And it totally went over their head. It totally, they totally missed it. This is not how things operate. And of course, Jesus' message begins with repent. Repent because my kingdom is here and my kingdom does not operate the way that the world system operates. If you want to be great and a leader in my kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. It didn't look like Jesus was being very successful in his attempt. Because what he was coming to do ultimately got him in trouble with the religious rulers and the political rulers of his day. The best the world had to offer religiously with Judaism and the best the world had to offer politically with the Roman Empire colluded together to get rid of this mischief and troublemaker. Jesus, with his crazy ideas of how the world should operate. If we would just kill him, we will get rid of this troublemaker and this problem. But what they didn't realize was Jesus was ultimately displaying the ultimate surrender of a servant by allowing himself to be tortured and put to death. And if you think that was a failure, you could look today and ask the question, where is the Roman Empire today? And then ask the question, and how has the expansion of the kingdom of heaven gone since then? The early church was right in the trench of what you could say the ultimate spiritual warfare. <laughs> they had a real enemy that was after them and putting them to death. Nero and the Colosseum and all of the stories that we hear about the martyrs, and they were putting them to death as quick as they could. And they would give their heads. <laughs> they would give their bodies. And it seems the more they gave, the greater the kingdom grew. Because there was something that was being released from heaven that the world knew nothing about. And it starts off as just a little seed, a mustard seed, but it grows because you think, is there much significance in such a tiny seed? Oh, it is when it falls to the earth and dies. We are called to follow a suffering servant. They missed, they missed 
their Messiah because they didn't know that he was a suffering servant. Some still miss him today. We follow a lamb that was slain. And his kingdom still comes the same way by those willing to give of themselves to serve. Oh, I'm telling you, it's not glamorous. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't look like you are in charge. It doesn't look like you are powerful. It does not look like you are the dominant force. But it's a different kingdom. And it's a different world. And it's counterintuitive to everything that we think we know and understand about power and authority. Jesus turned all of that upside down. And people still miss that today. They want to put the, the, the cross on a shield and go to battle. When the cross was the ultimate symbol of laying your life down. Rulers rule from the seat of authority. They sit. They don't stoop down. But Jesus, God, stoops down. If the truth be told, it's even beyond just stooping down, God actually gets his hands dirty in service. Psalm 113 goes like this. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes. With the princes of his people, he settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. This God that is enthroned on high stoops down. How else do you reach the poor that are in the dust unless you get off your throne and stoop down to where they're at.
Psalm 18, verse 35, in the Passion, says, You empower me for victory with your wraparound presence. Your power within makes me strong to subdue. And by stooping down in gentleness, you strengthened me and made me great. He makes us great by stooping down. (laughs) He stooped down when he washed his disciples' feet. He stooped down when he washed Judas' feet. Knowing This man is about to stab me in the back. He's going to greet me with a kiss. He's going to flatter me with words. But then he's going to ultimately stab me in the back again. I still choose to stoop down and wash his feet. He also stooped down, we find in the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, It says in verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus descended lower than anyone else. They came with this woman and brought her before him. There's a mob that's forming. They're starting to get agitated Because they know what should be coming next, and they bring this crowd and this woman to Jesus. And Jesus descends and stoops down beneath the priest. Stoops down and descends lower than the crowd of the people. 
He even stooped down beneath the woman. The accusers looked down on this lady in order to see her. (laughs) But in order for them to see Jesus, they had to look down even further because he postured himself at a low place to serve the one. There is a temptation to appease a crowd in order to be thought of as great. It's a temptation that we all will face. This is the mob. This is what everybody is saying. This is the direction everybody's going in. This just seems like, you know, this is what I probably should do. But yet something in my heart is going out to this one. I think I better get down low at this moment. So Jesus got down low. The mob dispersed, the crowd left. And you could say that Jesus' reputation in that moment was ruined. Jesus is just a simple response. What do you have to say about a woman in adultery? It's simple. Just answer the crowd. Jesus, this is an easy one. It's a slow pitch across the plate, Jesus. You, you could answer the crowd and say, but don't kill her. Just give him an answer, Jesus. But he understood the spirit that was coming out of a mob mentality. And he didn't use it as an opportunity to grow his brand. Oh, I could get some good support from this crowd of people if all I have to do is throw them her. He let the crowd think whatever they wanted to think. He let the crowd leave from there with whatever opinion they wanted to have about him. And he stooped down to serve the one. Accusers look down, but servants stoop down. To paraphrase what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 and 17, I didn't come to judge you. I came to serve you. What if, what if that was the testimony of the church to the world? I, I didn't come to judge you. I came to serve you. What if the church's posture towards the world was not a pointed finger of accusation or folded arms of disapproval, but rather bended knees to wash feet and outstretched arms to serve? What if instead of fighting our enemies, we started feeding them? Romans 12, 20, if your enemy is hungry, 
may I take your order? (laughs) If your enemy is thirsty, can I fill your cup? This would radically, radically change the conversation on the war on culture. I'm not in a war with culture. I'm not postured as a soldier. I'm postured as a servant. My call isn't to take names and kick butt. But it's to take orders and serve tables. We have a challenge before us, church, because there are challenges that we are facing in but it's not us versus them. It's time for us to know who we are, to know that all things have been given to us, to know from where we came and where we are going so that we could strip down in humility and take the form of a servant, tie a towel around our waist, fill a basin with water, and get down to serve humanity. Let's stand. This is a challenging word for Me personally, I know it's a challenging word for all of us. But no, if you ever feel like you're in a place where you're rising up, I I have to fight, I have to, I have, check your heart. What are you threatened by? What are you afraid of? What are you insecure about? What have you forgotten about yourself? And then look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He gave us the way to serve, to lead, to love. So, Father, I thank you today that you have called us friend. You have made us sons and daughters You have stooped down to make us great. But you did did not give us greatness so that we could rule well. You gave us greatness so that we could serve well. Form our hearts, Jesus. May we be committed to follow a lamb and not be ashamed of the gospel. May we realize that your world is not like this world, 
And let us die to that part of us that still wants to cling and hold on to any type of reputation or any type of idol of greatness. And let us bow our knees and serve. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Have a great week.